Acts chapter 2 in just a moment. We're going to begin reading in verse 41, and we'll read down through verse 47. If you look at your bulletin, you might be confused because it probably says something like, uh, why are we here? That's the same thing as the purposes of the church. So just know that the guys up in the balcony are not wrong. Miss Carrie wasn't wrong. Brother Allen was wrong. Just because I had thought about renaming this message, but you know what? I sent one to one and one to the other, and here we are. It's the same text. Acts chapter 2. Just a quick reminder, of course, last week, God had something else in mind for us because we... Uh, we're going to have trouble getting up the hill and that kind of thing to make it onto the church campus. We took a break and we were at home and I thank God that many of you were able to finally navigate your way to my message which I had to put on my Facebook page and ultimately it landed on the churches as well. But we looked at snow last week and that was an interjection in what we're actually doing on Sunday mornings right now. We began back with Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, and we looked at the Lord's purpose of the church, how that the church was given by Jesus, and the explanation that He shared with us at Caesarea Philippi in Matthew 16. We took a couple of weeks to look at that passage And so now we return to our series on the church, and we want to look at the Jerusalem church for two Sundays, and then for two Sundays we will look at the church at Antioch from the book of Acts. And so we'll continue our thoughts about the church for several weeks. But Acts chapter 2 is where you find this beautiful snapshot of what the first generation church looked like. As people were saved, as they came out of the world and God placed them into the church, we began to see God's intention for that church. And it does answer the question, why are we here? We're here because of purposes that God has in mind for His church on earth. And so let's read the passage together, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. The word of the Lord says, Then those who gladly received His word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you, Lord, that we have the great privilege 
to be a part of your church. And Lord, as we've already thought about in weeks gone by, the church will be successful as long, Lord, as there is time on earth because you promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against her. And so, Lord, as we continue to open our minds and our hearts and think about your church, I pray over the next couple of weeks that the purposes of the church, Lord, the very reasons we're here, would just come alive to us. And Father, help us never to be content to be a purposeless church, but help us, Lord, to execute your mission and do what you've called us to do. Lord, I pray and I ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and amen. Why are we here? We are here to execute the purposes of the church. There's a reason that God has called us out of darkness and He's placed us together as His kingdom, the bride of Christ on this earth. Now, I think sometimes when we think about our salvation, we have a tendency to think, well, I'm saved so that I won't go to hell. And that's a good reason to be saved. Amen. I'm thankful that I'm not bound to hell. I'm thankful, as we sung in the hymn earlier this morning, that I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. That's a good reason to be saved, but here's what I want you to know, and I want this to resonate in your heart over the next few weeks. God has an intention for us right here. We're not there yet. We're headed there, but in the meantime... God has these beautiful purposes for the bride of Christ here on earth. And I think that when you want to consider what a church ought to look like, you ought to go back to the church in its first generation form. Any institution, any organization that you really want to study, it's helpful to go back and see it in all of its full intentionality in its first generation form. Now, I'm going to tell on myself this morning, but I think it helps you understand what I'm trying to say to you today. Uh, When I was growing up in the late 70s, but particularly in the early to mid-80s, we had boomboxes. You remember those, don't you? Some of you do. And I remember wanting a boombox, and one Christmas I got my first one, and then maybe a couple years after that when I had worn that one out, I was blessed with another one. My second one was better than my first one because my second one had two tape decks on it. Two! That was outstanding. Now, I know some of you are looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate because you only know digital music. You've known it to exist on CDs, and now we don't even have CDs. How many of you drive a car now that doesn't even have a CD player in it? That's because music is digital now, and it's easier to access. I remember having to go 
to disc jockey in the Lexington Mall. Some of you can't even remember the Lexington Mall. But there used to be a mall. Southland Christian Church bought the campus, and they have a campus out there on the old Lexington Mall property on Richmond Road. But we would go there awaiting a release from our favorite band. So Journey would come out with a new album. I just gave myself away. Big Journey fan. Journey would release a new album, and then we'd hear the release date, and we would go try to get in line so that we might be able to get a cassette tape of Journey, and it would be way out into the corridor of the mall. Some of you remember that. Don't act like you don't. And so we'd get that tape, and I'm sorry, but sometimes we would lend our tape to our friend. And our friend would take our tape and a blank Memorex. One tape, you know, would go on deck A, and the Memorex would go on deck B. You could press play and then record simultaneously, and it was called dubbing. We shouldn't have done that. But we did it. Many of us did it. I can see it in your eye, and I can hear it in your snicker. You were right there with me. And so here's the thing. You would take that first generation that you bought at Disc Jockey, you would take the Memorex, and you'd make the dub, and the bottom line is the dub wasn't quite as good as the original. And then sometimes you would make a dub of a dub or even a dub of a dub of a dub. And y'all remember, by the time you got down through the generations, the fidelity on that tape, on that cassette tape, would become worse and worse until all of a sudden you heard the hissing in the background and The music was there, but it just wasn't as good as the first generation. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is through my experience, I learned that a second and a third generation can get away from the fidelity of the first generation. And sometimes that happens organizationally. It often happens with businesses. Sometimes it happens with school organizations. And a lot of times it happens in the church too. Often we come together and all of a sudden we really have a good thing going. And we're friendly to one another and we love one another and it's a warm thing. And I can feel the warmth of our fellowship this morning, can't you? I hope you can. I hope when you came in today, you saw good friends and uh, church family members and they greeted you with a smile and handshake, maybe even a hug. That's all beautiful. But sometimes we can cloister together and we can forget some of our other purposes so that down the line, we can be adrift from the mission of the church from fulfilling the purposes of the church. Here's what I want you to know. In Acts chapter 2, you find the church 
in its first generation form. It's not a dub. It's not a dub of a dub of a dub, but it's the first generation form of the church. The church is brand new. Of course, as we've already looked at back in Matthew 16, Jesus had explained the foundation and the formation and the future of the church. And then here we are in Acts chapter 2, and the church has been born, and she's a beautiful baby. She's a big baby. Amy and I know about big babies. Our oldest was well over 10 pounds when he was born and a whopping 24 inches long. It was a C-section, by the way. <laughs> but Alistair was, was, was a big old boy. He, st- he still is. Big, tall boy, that kind of thing. And, and the same with the church. She comes into the world. She's born on the day of Pentecost. And she is a big, beautiful baby. She's wonderful. 3,000 members strong. And she's functioning together with with full purpose. And here in Acts chapter 2, Luke, the same that wrote the Gospel of Luke, is beginning to show us uh, the early history of the church. And in this beautiful word picture here, we find that there were six original purposes of the church. And you need to know, those have not changed. The original purposes that God had in mind for His church have never changed. I'm going to be saying something over the next few weeks. You'll probably hear it in each and every message I want you to be listening for it, and and I want it to gravitate very down deep in our hearts. The message never changes. The purpose of the church and all the purposes that God has in mind for her, those do not change. Methodologies do change. So let me say it again. Methodology changes. Message never changes. And so... The same purposes that God had for His church when she was launched back in the first century are the same purposes that God has for Bible Baptist Church today. And so we're going to be looking microscopically at these six purposes that we find here in Acts chapter 2, the Jerusalem church, and then we're going to see the same purposes resurface again in a few weeks when we look at the church at Antioch. So what's happening here? Jesus had ascended. You know, that's where the book of Acts picks up. The Lord Jesus Christ has ascended back into glory and He's reiterated His mission that the church would become powerful when God, the Holy Spirit, would descend into her, and that she would go throughout the world preaching and teaching this glorious gospel. Jesus said, you'll start in Jerusalem, you'll go through Judea, you'll end up in Samaria, but that's not the stopping point. You'll literally go to the ends of the earth with the gospel 
that I'm giving you. Beautiful thing. And so Jesus said those things in in Acts chapter 1. He ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And now His church is here in this world to do what He said that she ought to do. God was faithful. Holy Spirit was promised. Holy Spirit was given. Let me just ask you in parentheses this morning, are you thankful, believer, for the gift of God's Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life? So Jesus had told the disciples to stay in Jerusalem, to be together, and at the appointed time, the Holy Spirit would condescend. He would come down and He would rule and reign in their hearts. And beloved, that He did. So God, the Holy Spirit is here. Peter goes out and he begins to preach that great message of Pentecost. Now when I use the word Pentecost there, I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm talking about a specific day. God the Holy Spirit is in his heart. Peter goes out and preaches and you see the first great mass evangelism event in the history of Christianity. I'm thankful for all sorts of evangelism. I'm thankful for small-scale evangelism where one or two people get saved. I'm thankful for large-scale evangelism where a lot of people get saved. And that's what you have here. It's like a Billy Graham event. Peter preaches under the inspiration of the Spirit. Wouldn't you just love to go back about 2,000 years ago and been in the crowd when the first Holy Spirit-anointed message came to planet earth. Can you imagine that? Peter gets out and he begins to preach what an amazing thing had happened in the life of the apostle Peter. Forty-some days ago, he had denied that he even knew who the Lord Jesus was. He encountered the living, resurrected Jesus, and now he's empowered with God the Holy Spirit, and he preaches the stars down. And the Bible tells us these thousands of people come to know Christ. They're saved, they're baptized, and then they begin to function together as the very first church. The goal of church health, Bible Baptist Church, if we want to be a healthy church, our singular goal has to be to be just like the first generation church, the Jerusalem church. So these people are saved. They express their body life together as a newly founded congregation and they exhibit Six purposes. We're going to look at the first three this morning here in Acts chapter 2. You see the first one, the primary purpose of the church is evangelism. Now as I've already stated, over the next couple of weeks we're going to look at six purposes and the next several are not in any particular order as far as priority But i got to tell you, number one is the priority, seeing people saved. Now, notice again what this looks like in the Jerusalem church. Back to verse 41 of the text, 
The Bible says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day 3,000 souls were added to them. Boy, wouldn't you love to see one of those old-fashioned type baptismal services again here at Bible Baptist Church? I remember days when God would move in a special way and many people in the community would be saved and we would baptize 12, 13, 14, sometimes 20-some persons in one baptism event. Can you imagine 3,000? Can I tell you this? I believe that if God did it then, God can do it again. 3,000 people heard the message of salvation, and they are saved. Now I want you to look at the very end of the text. Look at the latter part of verse 47. Scripture says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Explosive growth. 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And then the bottom line, the end of the text, Scripture says, And daily... Every day, the Lord continued to add to the church those who were being saved. Evangelism, that's where it starts. The most basic purpose of the church is the purpose of seeing people saved. That's not where it ends. But we can all agree together that is where it starts. That's the new birth. It's what Jesus talked about with Nicodemus in John's Gospel, chapter 3, that if you want to be rightly related to God, you have to do what, church? You have to be born again. That's evangelism, experiencing the new birth. I like what a lot of people have said over the years. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Hey, that's who we are as evangelists. We're beggars. We have nothing to offer God. We have nothing by which we can afford our salvation. We are spiritually beggars asking God to do for us what we can't do. And that is to save our souls. So when we go out and we share the good news with somebody that doesn't know Jesus, that's what we're doing. We're just saying, look, I'm no better than you. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I am a beggar who found my bread at the foot of the cross. And that's what we're doing for others. We're just saying, I'm a beggar, you're a beggar, and I'm here to tell you today where to find the bread of life. That's where it starts. Listen very closely before we move on to the next purpose. If we don't do evangelism, the other purposes do not matter. Don't miss that. Please, please, pretty please, don't miss it. If we don't lead people to Jesus, these other five purposes that we're going to see here from Acts chapter 2, they don't matter. If people don't come to know the Lord, they're not going to become disciples. They're not going to engage in fellowship. They're not going to do ministry and missions We'll look at all these purposes, but I want you to see it. If they're not saved, the rest doesn't matter. And if we don't do evangelism, 
guess what, church? We're dying. If we don't reach people for Jesus Christ, we as a congregation are 100% on our way out. You cannot survive past about two generations if you don't see people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And I'm not trying to tell you that it's easy. It's frankly more difficult than it's ever been. That just means we have to work harder. You know, used to, lost people would come to church. You remember those days when lost people would actually come? That happens a little bit these days, but not very much. But lost people at one time would come to church. They would get under conviction. We used to talk about the white knuckles. You ever seen that? Somebody so under conviction that it was like they would grip the pew until their knuckles turned white. But ultimately, if they'd keep coming, God would keep convicting. The Holy Spirit would keep moving. The church would keep praying. And then the day would come when they let loose of that pew and they'd walk the aisle and come to Christ. Oh, that we could return to days like that. But here's what I'm saying to you. They are out there. They're not in here, but they're out there. And what Scripture compels us to do is to be the beggars that are telling other beggars where they can come and find the bread of life. It begins with evangelism. I love this passage because it's like an evangelism sandwich. Do you see there at the very beginning, Peter's preaching 3,000 people are coming to Christ, and at the end of the paragraph, the Bible is saying, the church is being added to by the Lord daily, those who are being saved. Begins with evangelism. Let me ask you two or three very personal questions before we move on. Number one, are you praying for lost people by name? Are you praying for people that you know to be lost? We pray about all kinds of things. That's the basic need. Who are the lost people in our lives? Students, who are the lost people? that you go to school with on a daily basis. You do understand this. That's the big mission field in our community. Students who don't know Jesus Christ. Families, your neighbors, who are they? The people that that wait on you in the restaurants, the people that are at the gas station, the people that you see every day. People need the Lord. And my question is, are we praying for him? Who is the person that you're praying for to see saved? Are you praying for them? Number two, are you telling them? You know, we pray, and then as we've talked about a lot of things, the day has to come when you start putting feet on your prayer. When you have to go, when you have to say something. Who are we telling? Who are we praying for? Who are we telling? It begins with evangelism. Purpose number one. Purpose number two is discipleship. I want you to notice what Scripture says here in our text. First part of verse 42. 
The Bible says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now stop there. We'll come to the next word in just a moment. But notice they're saved. God puts them together as His church. And then they continue in the apostles' doctrine. My friends, we have it easy. You have the Bible. I have the Bible. And we have it in more forms than we've ever had it. You have it in paper form. We have it in digital form. Look back there and I see that some of you are, you're not on Facebook, but you're reading your Bible. You're following along with me because you have a Bible app on your phone. And if it's a good one, it will read the Bible to you. How blessed are we to have such a constant presence of the Word of God in our lives. They didn't have that. We've been talking about on Wednesday nights how we got the Bible. Now let me just encourage you, if you're able to come out on Wednesday nights, we got to a point last Wednesday night where we set the stage, and this Wednesday night it's going to get gooder and gooder. Man, it's, going, it's great stuff. I can't wait to talk about what we're going to talk about Wednesday night. But listen, the first century saints, they didn't have it because it hadn't been completed yet. They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the Gospels. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They didn't have Acts because they were living out the book of Acts. They didn't have the letters yet. Those weren't out there. And so, to understand the doctrine, they had to be around the apostles. The church in Jerusalem doesn't look like us. I mean, we're blessed to be in here, and we're together, and we're in from the elements. We have plenty of space. More people could come in. Now, they didn't have that. They met in smaller groups all throughout the city of Jerusalem. And they had 12 pastors, the 12 apostles. And those apostles would go out and on a daily basis they'd meet because this is a big church started with 3,000 members and God's adding every day to it. And these apostles are going out and they're teaching and they're preaching and they're telling these New Testament saints how to continue to develop their faith. They're discipling these new believers. And my friend, that is the mission. You know, our mission is what, church? It's the Great Commission. And Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel 28, 19, and 20, Go therefore and make what? Disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's clear there. Our goal is not just to see people come in and make a profession of faith, get them up there in that tub and dunk them real good, and then let them go. But our mission is to make disciples. If you're here this morning and you're faithful to the church, somehow, by some means, somebody helped you to become a disciple. You realize that? 
You're here. That means you're a disciple at some level. We're all on different levels. I understand that. But at some level, if you're saved and you're coming to the fellowship of the saints, that means at some level you're a disciple. Somebody's helped you. I don't know about you. For me, it took a lot of help. So I had parents that helped me. I had Sunday school teachers that helped me. I had mission group leaders in my church that helped me. I had youth pastors that helped me. I had a lot of people that helped me. An old song that says, need a little help from my friends. That's the way it is in the kingdom of God. We need people that help us become disciples because that's the mission. Not just to see them come in, not just to see them baptized, but Jesus says, make disciples out of them. Help them to become people who truly follow me. That's purpose number two. But you can't have purpose number two if you don't fulfill what? Purpose number one. If people aren't being evangelized, they aren't being discipled. Can I tell you this? And I'm going to move on to our last purpose for this morning. But one of the real problems in the church today is that we've not discipled somehow, some way. We've not taught people and help them grow in their faith. If we're going to be a church that resembles the first generation church, we have to be a disciple-making church. Evangelism, discipleship. The last one we'll look at this morning, number three, is fellowship. I want you to notice that the Bible here gives us beautiful, rich descriptions of what that fellowship looked like. The latter part of verse 42, it says they continued not only in doctrine, but and in what? Fellowship. And it describes it. They broke bread together, etc. But now skip down to verse 44. Scripture says they believed and were together and had all things in common. Look at verse 46, beautiful description of fellowship. They continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. This Jerusalem church was a church that enjoyed a great fellowship. Does anybody have a quarter? Seriously. Anybody have a quarter? I need a quarter. Somebody will give me a quarter, right? All right. Miss Carrie's got a quarter. Thank you, ma'am. Is it mine? To have and to hold? All right. She gave it to me. I'm not broke anymore. I've got a quarter. I can call someone who cares. If I could find a pay phone to do it. This is what? It's a coin. We call it a coin. Everybody say that with me. Coin. We call it a coin. The word coin comes from the Greek word koinonia. And we call this a coin because it's what we have in common. We also use the terminology common currency. Here's the thing. Before it was mine, it belonged to Miss Carrie. And you know how much it was worth to her? 
25 cents. I'm 25 cent richer, she's 25 cent poorer. Bottom line is, it was 25 cents to her, and it's also 25 cents to me. It'll always be worth 25 cents. That's what they tell us. Because it's our common currency. It's what we have in common. A quarter to carry, a quarter to me, and now it's in my pocket and it's going to be there. Listen. It's a coin. And that's what koinonia is. It's what we have in common. That's our fellowship. Fellowship is a beautiful thing. Somebody asked a group of young people, guys and gals, what's fellowship? A little boy in the back of the room raised his hand and said, I know what it is. It's two fellers in the same ship. Well, listen, that's a pretty good illustration, honestly, because if there were two of us fellers in the same ship, we'd sure have a lot in common. We'd have a platform under us that's keeping us from sinking. That's the gospel, by the way. We sing the old song. I'm going to take a trip on the good old gospel ship. That's what the gospel ship does for it. It keeps us from sinking. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more, but then the Master. Aren't you thankful for the Master? The Master comes, and I'm not sinking anymore. See, two fellers on the same ship, they really do have something in common. They're on that ship together. They're out there together as long, you know, if it's a Gilligan's Island situation, it may turn to a really long time. But they're out there together. As long as they're out there together, they're going to be together. They share air. They're in the same space together. Koinonia, fellowship. I hope I'm giving you some images this morning. That's what it means for us to be together in Christ. Listen to me closely as we close this morning. God does not have any thought, let me say it again, he does not have any thought that we would delve into Lone Ranger Christianity. God doesn't want us to be isolated. God doesn't want us to be by ourselves. God wants us to be together. That's his design. That's koinonia. That's fellowship. And my friend, as a believer, there's nothing any more precious to you on planet earth than your fellowship with other believers. And you have a great one. You have a great unified fellowship here. And it is so worthwhile. Listen, I don't know why any person in Rockcastle County, Kentucky would not want to be a part of this fellowship. 
We need to tell them about it. We need to evangelize them so that we can disciple them. And they can be blessed like you're blessed and you're blessed and I'm blessed to be connected together in a beautiful fellowship. Three Musketeers. You remember their slogan, don't you? All for one and one for all. Now next week we're going to come back and we're going to take a close look at what that means. How the fellowship just begins to blossom and thrive. This commonality that we have in the gospel, in the discipleship journey, how all of that begins to flourish in our body life. So here's the thing. If we have somebody here today and you don't know Jesus, come to Him right now. Don't wait, don't put it off. Do it right now. Come to Jesus. Be saved today. Become a disciple. There are people right here that will help you become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, what a fellowship. And then as believers, friends, we have to cherish these things. They're precious purposes. They're why we're here. To reach out, to disciple, to engage in fellowship. She's a beautiful church, isn't she? It's a blessing to be a part of what she is and who she is and what she does on earth. Would you stand with me bow your heads? I'm going to pray for you. And after I pray, in just a moment, we're going to sing together a hymn of invitation as we sing this. Today, if you need to step out, if you need to come, come to be saved. Come to join Bible Baptist Church, if God's calling you to do that. You'll be in a great fellowship that will love on you, that will support you, that will do life with you as we travel this journey of life. If you need to come, today's your day. This is your moment. You step out. You come to Jesus. Father, I love you. I thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing on earth through your church. I pray, God, that we would learn more and more and more how to be the church you want us to be. Lord, help us to be an evangelistic, disciple-making, fellowshipping church that honors and glorifies you. Lord, if there's one who needs to come today for whatever reason, I pray he or she would come right now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we